Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start off with the show. On Monday Night Raw, the first thing to announce is that in two weeks, on the first episode of Raw of the New Year of 2023, Bianca Belair will be going against Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship, and also Seth Rollins will be going against Austin Theory for the United States Championship. Now, for next week on Monday Night Raw, there will be no new episode of Monday Night Raw. Instead, they will be airing a Best of WWE 2022, so there will be no Raw recap next week. So, with that being said, now... The first thing that happened on Raw was a video package of Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns will play, and the main point of the video is stating that Roman and his bloodline are going to make Kevin Owens' life a living hell, and since Kevin Owens continues to mess with Roman, Roman decides to send a bloodline to Raw to make everybody acknowledge him. So what Roman means by that is he sent the Uso, Solo, and Sammy to Raw to just create havoc, and they are there to create havoc. You will see the Usos and Sammy and Solo beat up uh Andre Chase and Elias backstage you see them beat up other individuals backstage as well earlier in the night and that kind of carnage will continuously happen throughout the rest of the night now the first match of the night would be the Street Profits with Akira Tozawa in their corner going against Judge Middays uh Finn Balor and Damian Priest with Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio in their corner the Street Profits will get the win by pinfall thanks to Akira Tozawa. When Tozawa will go over to Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley and chastise Dominic for interfering in the match earlier. Rhea will be in front of Dominic to make sure Tozawa doesn't touch him. So Akira Tozawa would throw Montez's drink towards Rhea Ripley. Rhea would duck it and Dominic would get hit in the face with the drink. Finn Balor would seize this and Montez Ford would take the opportunity to roll up Finn for the win. Now, after the match, the Street Profits and Akira Tozawa will be on the entrance stage, and Rhea Ripley will walk up to Tozawa and ask Tozawa what type of man he is and punch him in his face. Rhea will then challenge Tozawa to a match right now, and you will see Tozawa just, like, contemplating having this match with Rhea. The Street Profits would get into the head of Tozawa that he needs to handle his business like a man, tell him that he got this dog in him. So, Tozawa would accept, and we have the match between Rhea and Tozawa. In the end, Rhea would get the win by pinfall by hitting the Riptide on Tozawa when Tozawa would miss his big high senton, and I'm not going to lie to you, when Tozawa always goes for that senton off the top rope, he always jumps high. We always got to acknowledge like Montez Ford's jumping ability when he hits his frog splash, but I think people need to acknowledge that Akira Tozawa, whenever he goes for that senton, he jumps high in the air, and whenever he misses and just hits that mat, that hurts. That's a bad landing, and I don't know how he Sets that up in his mind for him to constantly miss that and also take the pain on his back every time he does it. That's incredible. But in the end, still, Rhea Ripley would get the win. So Judgment Day still has the last laugh on Street Profits and Tozawa after this. The next matchup was the clubs Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows with AJ Styles and Mia Yim in their corner going against the Alpha Academy. The club will get the win by pinfall by hitting the Magic Killer on Chad Gable for the win. Now, this is... Something that I found real interesting, not because they beat Alpha Academy. That was kind of expected. But that Carl Anderson was here. Carl Anderson just got done coming back from Japan where he defended his New Japan's uh, Never Openweight Championship against Hikaleo. And now he will be defending the Never Openweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom, which is New Japan's version of WrestleMania, on January 4th. And he will be defending it against Tamatanga. So this is... Coming to a close of Carl Anderson's run in New Japan, 
but it brings a highlight to this, and I gotta get nerdy for a minute. New Japan is gonna be the first wrestling show that's gonna incorporate a WWE performer, which is Carl Anderson, and also an AEW performer, which is Kenny Omega, on a show together. Impact Wrestling hasn't had that, WWE hasn't had that, AEW hasn't had that in their like events, but New Japan will be the first promotion to actually have that type of big like companies having their wrestlers onto their big WrestleMania style show. New Japan has that uh, Wrestle Kingdom feeling and everybody in the wrestling world knows about Wrestle Kingdom and it's been a prominent thing to have WWE performer Carl Anderson on the show and have a New Japan uh, alliance with AEW like in the air and having a WWE performer on the show. It just brings interesting thoughts of maybe WWE could work with New Japan down the line and we could get some type of triangular deal with New Japan, WWE, and AEW somewhere down the line. At least this will be the first step going into that type of business if it ever does happen. That's why I said I just got to get into my nerdy bag with that. Sorry. Now, sidebar off of that. Now back to the show. After the match, you will see the bloodline coming through the crowd and attacking the club. They will hit both Carl Anderson and Lou Gallows with the 1Ds. And then you will see Adam Pierce come out with security and personnel to the ring. You will see the Usos and Sammy tell Pierce that the bloodline runs this business and that they are here to deliver a message that everybody in the locker room are the twos and they are the ones. So once that message gets delivered, Sammy and the Usos will leave the ring and go up the ramp. AJ Styles would attack Sammy from the side and security will break up AJ and the bloodline. And it will be announced that later in the night, AJ Styles will go against Sami Zayn. Now, after this, we will have the double or nothing ladder match between The Miz going against Dexter Loomis with Johnny Gargano on his corner. The Miz would win the match by unclipping both bags of money hanging above the ring, thanks to some help from a returning Bronson Reed, or formerly known as Jonah in New Japan and also Impact Wrestling. Uh, when Dexter Loomis was on the top of the ladder, Bronson Reed would appear and pull Dexter off the ladder. Bronson was smashed, Dexter's head onto the ladder, and then hit a tsunami, which is a big body uh, splash off the top turnbuckle. Then you see Bronson pull the Miz into the ring and help him get up the ladder. And then you see the Miz unclip both bags of money. So the Miz is back to being quote unquote rich again and having liquid cash. Um, Bronson Reed being back in WWE, I was happy for him because whenever he got released and he was on somebody's interview, I remember him stating that he didn't like talk with Vince because he had a tryout match on the main roster. They do those things from time to time whenever NXT uh, personnel or wrestlers are supposed to be getting like a look to see what they look like on the main roster. And he talked about how he didn't really get a chance to speak with Vince and that Vince saw his match and he didn't really hear nothing from Vince. And usually people say that's not really a good sign here whenever that kind of stuff happens. But Bronson, made it known that he had a good relationship with Triple H whenever he was down there in NXT, and he always knowed how Triple H would try to say that he wanted to do something with Bronson. So now that Triple H has creative power, bringing Bronson Reed back into the WWE fold is a good move for WWE and Bronson Reed, because, again, Bronson Reed said he had a good relationship with Triple H, so why not want to go back to WWE with the guy that you had a good relationship with is the guy running everything. So... 2022 has been a good year for Bronson Reed. He was released in 2021. He was doing things in Impact Wrestling, doing incredible work. He worked with Josh Alexander. He worked with PCO. He had some other good matches in Impact Wrestling. And then he also, during the summer, he went over to New Japan. He had a great run in G1. He beat 
uh, Kazuska Okada. I mean, he had a great run over there in New Japan. People who were on the internet were kind of trying to figure out why would he decide to go back to WWE instead of being over in New Japan, especially since he tweeted out like on December 16th asking that uh, Shingo Takagi doesn't have a Wrestle Kingdom opponent. And he put like a question mark after that. So people kind of speculated, okay, he might go against Shingo. No. There was big money play at the end. So, again, we still might get Bronson Reed over to New Japan. We just got to wait our time because, again, I think there might be some workings of WWE in New Japan just in case. I'm holding my hat out to that because, again, having these big companies work together is always a good thing for the wrestling business because that means all the other wrestlers can travel around. Again, I'm being nerdy again. I have to state that because I'm a nerd for this business. But Bronson Reed's back in WWE. Congratulations for him. And congratulations for having a great 2022. And hopefully a better 2023 in the meantime, whenever 2023 comes up. Now, after this, we've had AJ Styles going against Sami Zayn. Sami would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Solo interfering. Towards the end of the match, Solo Sokoa will come walking down the stairs and coming across the barricade. AJ will see Solo and get out of the ring and start attacking him. Sami will follow AJ. AJ would punch Sami, then throw him back in the ring. Sammy will grab the ref for a distraction, and then Solo will hit AJ Styles with a Samoan spike. Sammy will then grab AJ, hit him with a blue thunder bomb for the win, so Sami Zayn gets some retribution for the bloodline tonight. Now, after this, we have a in-ring promo from Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins will come out here in his hometown of Iowa, and Seth will talk about how the bloodline are here but haven't attacked him, so he decides to tell them to send a message to Roman and that Monday Night Raw doesn't belong to Roman Reigns. It belongs to Seth friggin' Rollins. That's when Austin Theory would come out and start walking to the ring. Theory would say that he isn't the future. He is the now, and his time is now. Seth would then proceed to call Theory a kid, and we all know that's the kind of underlining thing that Theory hates, being called a kid, but Seth would continue to do it, and tell Theory that he isn't the same person that he was before. He isn't Mr. Selfie. He isn't Daddy's little boy. He is the United States champion. But the one thing that Theory will never be is Seth Rollins. So Theory will decide to shoot back at Seth by saying that every time Seth somehow has the ball, he always drops it. He has been at the peak of the mountain, but he has never been to Everest. And that's what Theory's trying to do. He's trying to be at Mount Everest, the highest of highs. Theory would call Seth the third most famous member of the Shield, and that would irritate Seth. Seth would tell Theory that he is the peak of the mountain. As a matter of fact, he is the mountain, and that Theory can find that out right now. So it seems that Seth and Theory are about to get into a fight, but you will see the Usos appear from the crowd, and Seth will tell Theory that they can handle this later. Right now, we got to go after the Usos. So the Usos will hop the barricade, get on the ring apron, and you see Seth and Theory standing in the middle of the ring. The Usos on the barricade. No, not the barricade, the ring apron. Theory will decide to leave the ring with the United States Championship and just leave Seth high and dry. So the Usos will get in the ring, start beating up on Seth. Then Kevin Owens will come out. Kevin Owens will save Seth Rollins. And then you see Kevin Owens and Seth to get the better of the Usos. And then you see Adam Pearce come out. And he would announce that in the main event of Monday Night Raw, it will be Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins going against the Usos. Now, after this, we have Becky Lynch going against Bailey with EO Sky and Dakota Kai in her corner. Bailey will get the win by pinfall. When Becky was trying to hit Bailey with the manhandle slam, Dakota and EO will grab Bailey's leg and get her out of the ring. 
Becky will then leave the ring and start attacking Bailey, then go to the commentary table and grab a monitor and threaten to hit either Io or Dakota with it. The ref would see this and he would decide to send Dakota and Io to the back. But Dakota would try to get in the ring, but Becky would stomp on Dakota. The referee would get Dakota out of the ring. Bailey would run in the ring, hit Becky in the back with a monitor, and then finish her off with a rose plant for the win. So Bailey has a win over Becky, and they did announce, well, they did make mention that it's been four years since Becky Lynch and Bailey had a match with each other. So Bailey has a win over Becky, and that's probably going to play a big part into their rivalry going forward. Now, off to the main event, the Usos going against Seth and Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens will get the win for his team by pinfall when he was able to hit the pop-up powerbomb on Jimmy Uso for the win. Now, during the match, you will see Solo Sokoa and the Good Brothers will get involved, but it will be Austin Theory who would take Seth Rollins out of the match by hitting him in the back of the head with the United States Championship. So this is going to, again, make Seth more angry at Theory, and when we get their match for the United States Championship in two weeks, we're probably going to have a good match. That'll probably be the match to start off for Monday Night Raw in, in two weeks on the first uh, episode of Raw. At least I would put it that way. Um, after the match, Sami Zayn will slide back into the ring and he will look to hit Kevin Owens until Kevin Owens turned around and looked at Sami. So now you got Sami and Kevin Owens staring at each other in the middle of the ring. Sami Zayn will decide to slide out of the ring and that's it. So again, we're building up. We still got Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. Uh, going against each other, not this SmackDown, but the next week's SmackDown where you have Sammy and Roman going against John Cena and Kevin Owens. So we're building up to that, and more than likely, that's probably where their whole collision is going to happen. But with that being said, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, off to NXT. First thing to note, next week on NXT, we will have Cora J going against Wendy Chu. Fallon Henley going against Kiana James. The winner of that will get control of Fallon's family bar. That's kind of been their storyline. Fallon, his uh, family has been in some financial debt on this week's episode of NXT. Kiana James will walk in and say that she has like paid and got some of the debt like reduced and she's paid for it. So now Fallon isn't appreciated of it and now she wanted to fight Kiana for it. So that's what's going to happen next week. Also, the schism will be in the six-man tag match against Odyssey Jones, Idris Anafa, and Malik Blade. And to cap it off, we will have the North American Championship being defended of Wesley going against Tony D'Angelo. Now, the first match of NXT this week will be Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Axiom. Melo would get the win by pinfall thanks to Trick interfering when Axiom would hit Melo with a super hurricanrana off the top turnbuckle. Melo would then pull in the ref to check on his knee. Trick would then get on the ring apron grab Axiom by his head, and then drop him on the top rope. Melo would then run over to Axiom, hit him with a code breaker, and then hit nothing but net, which is a top rope leg drop to the back of the head of Axiom for the win. After the match, you will see Melo and Trick standing at the entrance ramp, dapping each other up. You will see Melo start walking away. Trick is standing there. Axiom would get up, run over, hit a springboard moonsault to the outside of the ring onto Trick Williams, so this is probably going to start something between Trick and Axiom, and I'm cool with it because Trick needs to be in the ring more. I like him as a manager for Melo, but seeing him in the ring is probably going to give him more reps on TV time for ring time, and I think Trick Williams being in the ring is probably just better for him because that's going to give him a lasting career in WWE. Being a mouthpiece, being that tall is only going to work for so much. 
Now, after this, we will have Nikita Lyons going against Zoe Stark. Zoe Stark will get the win by pinfall by countering a roll-up and holding onto the bottom ropes as the referee makes the pin. I have a feeling that this match isn't going to be the only match between uh, Zoe and Nikita. I think that they're probably going to let this thing cool for a little bit, and then they're going to go right back and forth to it. Because having Zoe just beat Nikita like that, it just didn't seem like that's the type of thing to blow off a few between Nikita and Zoe, which started with Zoe hitting Nikita with a tag team championship. So I see this feud constantly building into something, but I think they're going to not mention it next week, but probably the week after that. We're going to get right back on the chase with uh, Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark. After this, we have the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships being defended in a triple threat match of Gigi and JC Jane of Toxic Attraction going against Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley going against the champions Katana Chance and Kaden Carter. Kaden would get the win for her team when Kaden would be locked in Ivy Nile's Dragon Sleeper and Kaden would push her legs off the bottom ropes and turn it into a pin for the win. Good triple threat match here between all three of the ladies well all three teams uh katana and kaden are still tag team champions i'm cool with that because again they've been pushing all 2022 and basically all 2021 to try to get the freaking tag titles and for them now just to have it and i people think they're going to lose in this triple threat match i didn't see it but again all three teams were able to pull something off and again i'm sticking to this point i think gg and jc okay there's none there's no more for them to like do NXT. I just wish that they had Mandy there because again, my original thought process with all three ladies get took off from NXT and go over to the main roster. We'll have them off NXT television for a minute. They'll pop up at like Royal Rumble, show up, ta-da. And now that's the, like the introduction of toxic attraction on the main roster. But since Mandy's gone, I wonder what they're going to do with Gigi and JC, to be honest with you. People have been thinking about putting Carmella with the two ladies I thought that was a bad idea, but if they're not going to get Mandy back, why not do Carmella? Carmella could fit the sexy, attractive role that Toxic Attraction have for Mandy. And plus, I don't see nothing wrong with that now after they're examining it and thinking about it. Do it. Why not? WWE's all about reinventing yourself. They did it with Mandy Rose in, what, 2021? You could do that with Carmella here on the main roster with Gigi JC. I don't have no problem with it personally, so go ahead and do it. After this, we'll have Apollo Crews coming out to the ring. Apollo will congratulate Roxanne Perez on becoming the new NXT Women's Champion. And then Apollo will move on to him losing to Braun Breaker at deadline. He accepts that fact, but lets it be known that he is still on the hunt for the NXT Championship and hoping to challenge for it at NXT Vengeance Day. This will lead to Carmelo Hayes coming out and he will question Apollo, saying that he is next in line, not Apollo. Carmelo would also state that he has no problem putting Apollo's name next to the line of people that he's already beaten in NXT. So you will see this. Apollo will say that, you know what, Melo, there's always going to be someone better than you. And all Melo has to do is name the place and time. So we're setting up for Melo going against Apollo Crews. I have no problem with this personally. I thought we were going to get that somewhere down the line earlier this year in the summer when we had Giovanni Vinci going against, uh, Apollo Crews, and I thought the winner of that was going to go against Carmelo Hayes, but that got sidelined, that got sidetracked. That's fine, whatever. We're finally getting Apollo Crews going against Melo. I'm cool with it, and again, we're still on the Melo agenda of him going against Braun Breaker down the line, probably at WrestleMania weekend for the NXT Championship, so as long as we still continue with that trajectory, I'm cool with it. 
Now, after this, we have Indy Hartwell going against Electra Lopez. Electra Lopez would get the win by pinfall by hitting Indy with brass knuckles when Indy had her in a backdrop position. Electra Lopez would let it be known after the match that she's always two steps ahead. And on the replay, they would show that Electra Lopez had brass knuckles stashed in the top turnbuckle padding, and she pulled it out. So whenever uh, Indy grabbed her, it had her in that position, she could just pop her in the head. So Electra did think two steps ahead of Indy. So congratulations to Electra Lopez for being smart and learning something from Santos Escobar here. And hopefully, Electra Lopez can stay on NXT, do what she got to do. And I want WWE to call up Indy Harwell for her to get up to the main roster, her to join Dex Lumis, for the love of God. Index was one of the greatest things to come out of freaking the COVID era and bring into the new era of NXT 2.0 last year of 2021. So for them that be on separate brands, it makes no sense. Bring Dexter or no, bring Indy up to the main roster and let her be with Dexter and let them do their whole index thing on the main roster. That'll be great. Now, after this, we were supposed to get Solo Ruka going against Alba Fire, but that match never takes place thanks to Isla Dawn. Isla Dawn would attack Alba Fire, and you would see Isla Dawn place Alba Fire's arm in between like the steps and the ring post, and then you would see Isla Dawn grab Alba Fire's baseball bat and hit the steps, and it pops the steps, popping onto Alba's arm, and Alba is now on the floor, writhing in pain and yelling in pain so this thing between Aladon and Alba Fire isn't over I see them probably take Alba Fire off television a little bit allow her to recoup whatever she got to do and allowing Aladon to probably get some wins under her belt so the fans can still understand what Aladon is and her whole wrestling style so whenever Alba Fire comes back you can get this nice matchup, a hardcore matchup, probably between Isla Dawn and Alba Fire, in which that's where it should go to. Now, after this, we will have the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup between the champions, the New Days, going against Briggs and Jensen with Fallon in their corner. New Day would win the match by pinfall when Kofi would hit Josh Briggs with a Poison Rana, then hit him with a Trouble in Paradise. Then Kofi would tag in Xavier Woods, and Xavier would hit an elbow drop from across the ring on Briggs for the win. Briggs and Jensen had a good match with the New Day. New Day put up a good match with Briggs and Jensen. I don't care however anybody wants to pronounce it. This match was a good match. And again, New Day are proving why they are the cream of the crowd when it comes down to tag teams and tag team wrestling in WWE or NXT or anywhere personally because you can put them with any team. They can always make something uh, worth their worth anybody's while. They did it with Pretty Deadly at Deadline. They did it here with Briggs and Jensen. And they do it anywhere with any other tag team that you put them against. And I think Briggs and Jensen, they put up a hell of an effort, too, because they were able to step their game up with a certified, solidified future NXT, well, not NXT, but NXT, no, God, WWE uh, Hall of Famers with Kofi and Xavier here. And with one thing to note, Josh Briggs, he would hit a freaking moonsault off the top turnbuckle onto Kofi Kingston in this matchup. Big Josh Briggs, I think he's like six foot six. Six foot five, one of the two, and he's hitting a moonsault off the top. A guy that big shouldn't be doing that. But again, we're in a new generation of big men, so Josh Briggs doing that, it seems right. So I want people to understand that, yo, Briggs and Jensen, they've been doing their thing down in NXT. It wouldn't shock me if WWE or Triple H decides to pull them up in 2023. I think that's a team that everybody should pay attention to. They're already former NXT UK tag team champions. So again, this match solidified it. I think they could be somewhere close to the chopping block of being up on the main roster soon. Not soon, soon, but probably like 
after Mania or even a little bit before Mania if Triple H feels like the Usos have nobody else to compete with on the main roster. That's where my head's going with that. Now, off to the main thing, at, to end the show, Grayson Waller will come down to the ring. Because at the beginning of the show, towards the beginning, Grayson would be backstage. He's calling out Braun Breaker so he can have an NXT Championship matchup because he wants to do what Roxanne did last week. Uh, Grayson Waller knows that Braun Breaker isn't there because he's doing media tours promoting Vengeance Day, but Grayson Waller doesn't care. He still constantly calls out Braun Breaker. So, Grayson comes out to the ring. He's out here blowing hot air, saying that he's been holding up NXT since 2021. He's been doing it all 2022. He's the best, yada, yada, yada. He will continue to say all these type of things until video shows Braun Breaker pulling into the NXT parking lot and starts walking into the arena. So you will see Braun Breaker walking towards the ring. Grayson Waller is in the ring preparing for Braun. He's just constantly waiting for Braun to get in the ring, not cowering down. Once Braun gets in the ring, Braun would spear Grayson Waller, and now both men are down on the mat. Usually, the person that spears somebody gets back up because they just deliver punishment. But for some reason, Braun is down. He's on the mat. Grayson Waller. However, will slowly start getting to his feet. He's still feeling the effects, but he slowly gets to his feet. He unzips his jacket, and he shows that he is wearing a vest, and inside of that vest was a metal plate in it. Grayson Waller would get a mic and say that at Deadline, he outsmarted everybody, and also Braun, and at New Year's Evil, he is going to outsmart Braun and become the new NXT champion. So, Grayson Waller has... Shown that he has the smart to outwit Braun Breaker, and will he do it at New Year's Evil? Only time will tell when that match happens. But this was a homage to uh, Bret Hart and Goldberg's uh, segment in WCW, where this is the exact same thing. Bret Hart was in the middle of the ring. I believe he had a jersey on. Goldberg came out. He speared Bret, and then you saw both men on the mat. Bret gets up. He unveils that he had a metal plate strapped to him and this is exactly just biting off of that or paying homage whatever you want to call it but this was an example of Grayson Waller just showing everyone that he has the wits because he is not going to out muscle uh Braun Breaker he has to beat him with his wits so he might be able to do that at New Year's Evil upcoming so that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week now off to AEW Dynamite first and foremost we will have Ricky Starks coming out to open up the show Ricky would be out here in the middle of the ring. Ricky would say that even though he lost last week in the AEW World Championship match, he's still optimistic about becoming AEW World Champion. Ricky would make sure to let everyone know that he is willing to work his way back up to getting another shot at the World Championship, but then Ricky Starks would be interrupted by Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Daniel Garcia. Chris would tell Ricky that he has been watching him for a long time and wants him to know that he is a million-dollar talent, not a $1 store Dwayne. Chris would also let Ricky know that he has what it takes to be a world champion, but just not yet. He's missing one thing. He's missing some influence, and that's where Chris will come in. Chris wants Ricky to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. Jericho will sarcastically give kudos to Chris Jericho for his body transformation for over the past year. He will mock how Chris Jericho used to look like an air fryer. Now he has some cut up, six abs. So, again, that was his little jab at Jericho here. And he then will mock joining the Jericho Appreciation Society and decline it. Ricky would mention Chris Jericho losing to 
action Andretti last week and saying that Chris Jericho's stock has dropped because of that. Ricky would then ask Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia, what has Chris Jericho done for them since they've joined Jericho Appreciation Society? Now, for Daniel Garcia, I can see that being a legit question because he hasn't really done much for Daniel Garcia, to be honest. But for Sammy Guevara, he's been down with Sammy since the beginning of AEW, so I can see that not being a legit thing. I can see Daniel Garcia turning on Jericho somewhere down the line, especially since now he's been assigned the duty of being the underling of Sammy Guevara here. So this could probably be some cracks in between the uh, foundation between Sammy Guevara, Daniel Garcia, and Chris Jericho right here with that situation being thrown out there. Ricky would throw out the challenge to Chris Jericho to a match on January 5th. Then unbeknownst to Ricky Starks, behind him was Jake Hager, and Jake Hager would attack Ricky Starks. Chris Jericho and company would come down to the ring and help Hager beat up on Ricky Starks until Action Andretti would come down to the ring and make the save. Andretti and Ricky Starks would eliminate Jericho and the rest of his flunkies out of the ring, and it seems like it's set. Chris Jericho will be going against Ricky Starks on January 5th. Now, later in the night, you will see Action Andretti being interviewed, and you will see him be interrupted by 2.0, and they just basically tell Action Andretti, listen, you are on a streak. As a matter of fact, you're on fire. And this would make Andretti turn around, and Chris Jericho will throw a flare fireball into the face of Andretti. So again, Jericho has some beef with Action Andretti for beating him last week, and we're still on that situation. We're trying to build up Action Andretti as being one of the top guys, or at least one of the young guys that you should look forward to in 2023. And I'm cool with that, because again, having more young talent on AEW's roster, it just provides AEW for a better future. So I'm cool with that. Now, the first match of the night would be the match five in the best of seven series between the Elite and the Death Triangle. This match will be a no disqualification matchup. And the Elite would win the match by pinfall when the Bucks would hit Phoenix with the Meltzer driver on a steel chair. Now, in this match, you had Nick Jackson still coming in there with a uh, messed up quote-unquote ankle here. And he still muscled on as Kenny and Matt Jackson did what they had to do. Phoenix, he was actually able to use the hammer in this matchup with no hesitation because it was no disqualification. Uh, all the other times, he always try to hesitate on using the hammer or trying to stop either Pack or Penta from using the hammer since this match was no disqualification. Phoenix used it with no hesitation. He popped Kenny in the head with it, and Kenny was actually able to kick out. So ultimately, in the end, the Elite would be able to get the win. So now it's 3-2. and two. Death Triangle still up one. So right now, Death Triangle, only thing they have to do is win next week's matchup, and next week's match will be a false count anywhere match, which we know that's not going to happen. The Elite is going to win that because on January the 11th, we are going to get a ladder match between the Elite and Death Triangle. I think that's no surprise to anybody. I think we all know we're going to game or match seven. We all know that's going to happen. They're just trying to build the drama for it. But me as a fan, I know how this stuff works, so I can't wait for match seven. Now, after this, we would get Brian Danielson coming out to the ring, and Brian would make note that he knows that everyone in the Blackpool Comic Club has a hard time getting over what Regal did to Moxley, but Brian is able to because Regal was the man that turned him into a pro wrestler and also the man he is today. Regal has made Brian's life and this industry better. Brian lets it be known that he's going to make MJF face the consequences for his actions of attacking William Regal, and Brian would then call out MJF. But instead of MJF coming out, Ethan Page and Stokely Hathaway would come out. Ethan would then go over what he has done in these past few weeks, being in the finals of both the World Championship Tournament and the Dynamite Diamond Ring 
match between him and Ricky Starks on both occasions. It mentions that Brian is out here trying to cut the line of Ethan Page for the world championship. Ethan will tell Brian that he will turn him into a vegetable if he keeps on going about the way that he's doing this. So Brian would take Ethan Page up on his challenge and say that we can do this right now. Ethan would say, nah, we're not doing this here, but we can do it next week. So it seems that we get this match for next week of Brian Danielson going against Ethan Page. Now, here's something to note. MJF will be watching this back and forth between Ethan Page and Brian Danielson and the backstage monitor, and he'll just be smiling while holding his championship. And again, I know we're trying to allude to this, but I think MJF is still working with the firm or the firm is working with MJF. Because remember, the firm is all put together literally for the basis of being the protection of MGF. But remember during the rivalry between uh, MJF and Moxley, MGF quote-unquote fired the firm that led to MGF getting the beat down by the firm. Now, there was a line in this thing where Ethan Page was talking to Brian Danielson saying that if he was the one facing MGF last week, he would have beat MGF to become the world champion. I just think they're trying to spice that up a little bit more to still cover up the fact that the firm is still working for MJF. I really do think we're still going down that lineage now way there for the big reveal of the firm was always working with MJF. Listen, dog, I see it. I see it coming. Now, if they don't do that, I think that is a big, stupid thing because, again, the firm, they need to do something. It seems that Ethan Page is being teamed up with Stokely. Uh, Lee Moriarty and Morrissey is being teamed up with Stokely. The only team that's not being, like, Synced up with Stokely in the firm is literally the guns. They seem like they're doing their own thing with FTR, but I'm cool with that until it's time for them to link back up with Stokely for the firm. I'm cool with it. But the firm, they need to be on television more to associate and really let people know their dominance, especially for the way that they came in and they, the way that they showed out on All Out helping uh, MGF win the freaking ladder match. I understand what we're trying to do here, but I hopefully going into the future, we get to see more of the firm on television. Now, after this, we will have Hook going against Exodus Prime. This was Hook's win match here. This was a warm-up for Hook. Hook would win the match by submission when he locks in the red rum on Exodus Prime. After the match, Stokely would appear on the screen, and behind him was Morrissey and Lee Moriarty beating up on Jungle Boy backstage. You will see Morrissey chokeslam Jungle Boy into a trash can. And Hook will start leaving the ring and start walking towards the back. Remember, we're building for something for Hook and Jungle Boy to team up to go against Moriarty and Morrissey. Again, we're giving all four of these guys something to do until they get something better to do. I think we're leading to probably a Hook versus Jungle Boy match. Two young guys going against each other. Uh, two young future talents. Well, two young future main event talents in AEW. Going against one another. Again, Hook is still kind of green. We don't get much. Uh, he does not really expose that much on television that much. Hopefully going into 2023, that changes a little bit. I know we want to keep that allure of Hook. But I think going into 2023, Hook needs to be on TV more. He needs to either be backstage beating up on someone or in the ring beating up on someone or something. Because again, Hook, he needs more time on camera. I mean, he still gets a pop. Everybody still cheers for him whenever we see Hook. I'm not saying he needs to be on there every single week, but he needs to be on there more frequently than he actually is. So that's just my little thing for that. After this, we get John Moxley with Clyde Castagnoli in his corner going against Darius Martin, who had Dante Martin in his corner. John Moxley will get the win when he goes for the bulldog choke and he locks it in. 
and then he will let go of it and then grab Darius and hit him with the Death Rider for the win. Now, after this, we will have the Guns going against FTR. The Guns would win the match by pinfall when Dax would get Austin Gunn in a roll-up, but Austin would reverse out of it into his own roll-up, and as the referees count in the pin, Austin would hold his brother Colton Gunn's arm for extra leverage for the win. Now, during this matchup, you saw the Guns come out here and Bret Hart inspired a tire, and they're kind to uh, play mind games with FTR here. As you know, FTR, they have a great love and, well, they admire Bret Hart for everything that they've done in the wrestling business. And again, FTR, they love old school wrestling. Bret's an old school guy, so they have love for Bret, and that's who they consider their number one guy. So for the guns come out here and have Bret Hart inspired uh, gear, I like that. And also just to see the guns get television time against FTR after these two have been alluding to this rivalry for the past couple months. And this is their first match that they've gotten. I was happy with the outcome here because, again, we're going to lead more into guns and FTR, hopefully with the guns probably taking one of the tag titles off of FTR. And it seems that we're going into a downward slump for FTR. Because that seems to be the thing right now. This year was the rise of FTR in AEW and also around the wrestling world when it won the AAA tag titles towards the end of last year of 2021. They come into 2022, taking the ROH tag titles and taking the IWGP uh, tag team titles. And now as this year is going towards the end, they lost the Ring of Honor tag team titles back to the Briscoes. And they only got the IWGP tag team titles and now the AAA tag titles. And now they're going into January 4th, where they'll be defending their tag titles against uh, Haruki Goto and Yoshihashi at Wrestle Kingdom. I see them losing their tag titles there. And they'll be left down with the AAA tag titles. Now, just saying that, I want to correct myself. If the Guns want to take the AAA tag titles off of FTR and they go down to Mexico, I think the Guns will be a great heel tag team in Mexico. That's only if they want to do that. But if they don't, that's fine too. I'm just hoping that the Guns will get to win a tag title soon because, again, they're an entertaining tag team and hopefully we'll get to run it back with the Claim and the Guns if we have to do it that way for the Guns to win a tag team titles. That's my big thing here. But it seems that we're going to be on the downward slump for FTR. They're going to lose tag team titles as 2023 come. And hopefully, here's my idea for AEW and here's a free one you guys can take this and run with it and I think you guys are might be already on the way with this if CM Punk is still going to be with AEW because we have no word of anything of CM Punk being released or whatever the case may be if Punk is still with AEW have FTR be on the downward slump and again one day we just see them doing a backstage interview they're on the downward slump they're feeling down and bad and then they get a phone call a mysterious phone call that everybody's trying to wonder who it was you see them walk away. Then the next time you see FTR, they're more ruthless, they're more vicious, and they just allude to, you know what? We have to get back to what made us the best. Not just the best here, but also the best of the world at being a tag team in this wrestling company, because you saw what we did in 2022. Just that one line of saying the best in the world, that will already have wrestling fans clamoring for, okay, we're going to get CM Punk and FTR teaming together. Because, again, I think that's big money for CM Punk and FTR to team up together. And I think that's something that FTR might want to do. And that also might be what CM Punk might want to do in 2023 when CM Punk is all healed up again. Maybe. So hopefully we get that. Just want to throw it out there. I hope that it happens. But, again, I'm just want to throw it out there. AEW, you can use that free of charge. 
Now, after this, it will be time for the in-ring meeting between Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, and then you will have Rick Ross out here being the mediator. Now, I want to say this right now. This thing was a complete mess. You had Keith Lee, you had Tony Giovanni, you had Rick Ross being in the middle of the ring here. Rick Ross will have the mic. He will call Swerve out here. Swerve doesn't come out. And Rick Ross is saying, okay, we got to let the young legend take his time. And the fans are starting to boo. Keith Lee's over there just trying to wait it out. Rick Ross is trying to kill airtime by just speaking into the mic. I didn't like that. Swerve comes out here saying, listen, we're going to do this on my time, not Keith's time. I thought that whole waiting game that they were doing, I didn't like it. I get we're trying to make Swerve be this big time bad guy here. I get it off top. But just making people wait that much time and have Rick Ross try to kill that much airtime, that was not a good symbolism. That was not a good thing. Hopefully, AEW tightens up on that. Then you have uh, Swerve out here talking about whatever, this and that. And then it's time for a swerve. Pun intended. Parker Boudreaux would appear behind Keith Lee, hit Keith Lee, and then Parker would shake like he's PCO or Frankenstein's monster. That wasn't needed. Parker Boudreaux didn't need to do that. He just should have started beating up on Keith Lee. I mean, just start ruthlessly beating up on Keith Lee. But Keith Lee would get up, beat up on Parker, send him outside of the ring. Keith Lee would start walking towards Swerve. And then a mystery guy would just appear out of nowhere and start beating on, on Keith Lee. Now, later in this week, it would be reported by Fightful.com that it was a former MLB a baseball player that has been training with Jay Lethal. I believe his name is uh, Graydon Gotsman. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, but my guy, I don't know baseball players' names like that. But he has a physical physique. He's a tattooed face. He has some tattoos on his arms. I mean, his in this era of wrestling, his presentation can work. So he beats up on Keith Lee. Parker Boudreaux is beating him on Keith Lee. It's a two-on-one attack. They put... Keith Lee on the steel steps. They put a cinder block on Keith Lee. You see Swerve go to the top, turnbuckle, jump off, double stomp on the cinder block, breaking it and damaging Keith Lee here. And it would be announced that this is Swerve's new group. It's called Mogul Affiliates. So Swerve has a new group of Parker Boudreaux and this former baseball guy. I'm cool with it. Swerve needs a group. He needs monsters on the side. I hope that they can talk to Bar like Parker Boudreaux and tell him not to shake after he hits somebody like he's a freaking Frankenstein monster or something. I mean it. Seriously, go back to YouTube. Go to AEW. Just type in uh, AEW, and you're going to see Rick Ross' face on it. And that's the one you go to with Keith Lee and Swerve. Go to that. You'll see the assault. you see Parker Boudreaux shaking like Frankenstein. And you will even say, that was clunky. They don't need to do that again. So have somebody fix up that with Parker Boudreaux. But all together... Swerve, I'm happy that you're getting a new group. I'm hope I'm happy that they are putting a lot of more time into you because I believe that you are literally one of their best signings that AEW has had throughout its whole entire run in the history of AEW. I'm just gonna be blunt. Keith Lee and Swerve have been great signings. 2022 just hasn't been their well year of being on television like that. Hopefully, going to 2023, they get to do more things on television instead of being spotty here and there on television for Dynamite and always showing up on Rampage. Hopefully, they get more time on Rampage. That's just my grievance for that. Now, main event time. AEW Women's Championship matchup. Hukaru Shida going against the champion, Jamie Hayter, with Rebel and Britt Baker in her corner. This was a great match between both of the ladies. They threw out everything they can. You had the crowd, like, on their feet for the last freaking five minutes between both of them because they were just throwing haymakers with one another back and forth. 
But in the end, Jamie Hayter would get the win by pinfall by hitting Raid, or better known as the Rainmaker, on Hikaru Shida for the win. Now, after the match, you will see Britt Baker and Rebel attack Shida until Tony Storm would run down to the ring to make the save. As Tony is beating up on Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter would hit Tony in the back with the World Championship, and then you see Britt and Rebel hold up Tony. As you see Jamie about to hit Tony with the World Championship into the face, Soraya would run down to the ring and attack Rebel and then kick Britt in the face, and Jamie would just slide out of the ring. So your final shot of Dynamite is Soraya standing in the middle of the ring with Tony and Hukaru Shida as they look at Britt Baker, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter. Good end of the show. I think this episode of Dynamite was straight. Again, I think they should have looked at that Keith Lee and Swerve segment, and hopefully they fix up those type of incidents again. But again, all in all, AEW Dynamite was a good show. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. First thing to announce at Hard to Kill. It was announced that it would be for the Impact Tag Team Championships. They would be defended in a fatal four-way tag team elimination matchup. The champions, Motor City Machine Guns, will be going against the major players, going against Chris Bay and Ace Austin, going against Rhino and Heath. Now, next week on Impact, we will see Chris Saban going against Matt Cardona. That was also announced. Now, the first match of Impact would be for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. It will be the Death Dolls, Havoc, and Rosemary with Ty Valkyrie in their corner. Going against Giselle Shaw and Deanna Perrazzo with Jay Vidal in their corner. The Death Dolls would get the win by pinfall when Jessica Havoc would hit Giselle with a backbreaker. And then Rosemary will follow it with a spear for the win. Now after this, we have Sammy Callahan coming down to the ring. Sammy would talk about how he has a problem with the design. Sammy would say that ever since he got rid of Eric Young, the design has grown even stronger. So this will lead to Sammy calling the design out, and they will come out. Diener would tell Sammy that he thinks he's brave by calling them out here, but he isn't. He's sick. Diener tells Sammy that he, even though he goes through all this pain and torture for the acceptance of the people, in reality, the people don't care about him, and they never will. Diener tells Sammy that he has the cure for Sammy and his violence. So you will see the design get in the ring and crowd Sammy. Sammy would tell them that he isn't out here to fight them. He's out here to join them. Then you would see angels go over, grab the mic, and start questioning Sammy's authenticity of wanting to join the design. Sammy would tell Diener that, sure, he might have been the one to kill Eric Young, but it was Sammy who softened up Eric Young for Diener to do this. Sammy would then ask Diener, does the design want the death machine? Diener will look at Sammy, then pop him in the head with the microphone, and now you will see the design jump on Sammy. You will see Angels and Khan hold Sammy as Diener will grab the eyes of Sammy and just start gouging at him. Then you will see Diener grab Sammy, hit him with a DDT, and they just lead out Sammy Callahan. So again, we're continuing the design going against Sammy Callahan here. I don't know what we're trying to do here. I understand that we're trying to build up for Diener to go against Sammy Callahan because Sammy has already went against Angels and Khan. I think that the design saw that Sammy was trying to pull off a coup by saying he wanted to join them in. Well, well, join the design, so that's why they had to beat him up. So I see, and I like that a bad guy group knows when somebody's trying to con them. I like that. Instead of them always like, okay, yeah, sure, join us. No. They saw that, so they beat him up for his situation for trying to join them. You think that there's going to be his open arms to him? No. So we're going to build into it and see where this is going. I don't know where this is going, but 
I'm interested to see how they're adding a wrinkle into this story between the design and Sammy Callahan. Now, after this, we have Mike Bailey going against Yuya Yamura. Mike Bailey would win the match by pinfall by hitting ultimate weapon for the win. I thought off top, looking at this match, just looking at the beginning, I thought this was going to be an easy 5 to 10 minute matchup. No, but this went a little bit longer and they gave Yuya Yamura some offense against Mike Bailey. They are really making sure that they do better than what they did in previous years with their relationship with New Japan. And I'm talking about Impact Wrestling here. Mike Bailey is the perfect guy. Mike Bailey is the perfect guy to go against Yuya Yamura because Mike Bailey is all about wrestling. He's all about showing off good, authentic wrestling to the casual audience and to anybody. And him going against a young prospect from New Japan who's coming over here for an excursion, Mike Bailey is the perfect guy for Impact to have somebody represent as a person to uplift a New Japan talent. That's what I'm trying to get at here. So Mike Bailey didn't, didn't just squash Yuya Yamura. No, he actually gave Yuya a lot of offense to beat him up and all this type of stuff so in the end Mike Bailey still got the win but New Japan didn't look weak in this match no they looked like Yuya Yamura could have easily pulled off a surprising victory over Mike Bailey but that just didn't happen now after the match we will see a video of Kenny King appearing at CMLL which is a Mexican wrestling uh promotion Kenny would taunt Mike Bailey about not being in the impact zone and he says that he's not going to be there again until he decides to so again we're still building on kenny and mike bailey here and that's it uh after this we were supposed to have a matchup between johnny swinger and zicky dice going against the team of john schuyler and jason hotch but that doesn't happen well, bully ray would come out here and beat up on schuyler and hotch bully would zip tie jason hotch to the ropes and call josh alexander out here bully is trying to bait josh to come out here to help hotch which Josh does take the bait. He runs out here with a steel chair, and this will send Bully Ray out of the ring. Josh would then get some wire cutters and uncut Hotch from the ropes, and what Josh didn't know was that this was a trap, as Jason Hotch and John Schuyler would grab Josh Alexander, and Bully would get in the ring and attack Josh. Now you will see Jason Hotch and John Schuyler zip-tie Josh Alexander to the ropes, and now they're holding Josh, as Bully will get a chair and put it to the neck of Josh Alexander. As he's about to swing it and hit Josh with it, Tommy Dreamer would run down to the ring and take Bully Ray down and start beating up on him. But Jason Hotch and John Schuyler will go over there, beat up on Tommy Dreamer. Bully will hit Tommy with a low blow, then hit him with a pile driver. Bully will then tell Hotch and Schuyler to get a ladder, which they do. Bully would then grab that ladder, slam it on top of Tommy, and then start beating on the ladder with a steel chair as Josh Alexander just watched. Now, once Bully is done with all this, we will go to commercial, and when we come back from commercial, we will see Josh Alexander talking with Scott Demore, and the message was that Josh Alexander wanted Scott Demore to give him in a match with Bully Ray at Hard to Kill for the Impact World Championship in a full Metal Mayhems match, which is basically a TLC match. Now, Scott Demore would grant Josh Alexander his wish, and he tells Josh that he is going to sit both him and Bully Ray home until hard to kill so it seems to me that for these next couple episodes on impact we're not going to see josh or bully ray until it's time for hard to kill so there you go after this we have steve macklin going against rich swan this match would end in a count out for both men when macklin's beating up on rich swan outside of the ring the ref would tell macklin to get both him and rich back in the ring but you see macklin be defiant towards the ref and proceeds to beat up on rich the ref would count them both out so into the count out you will see 
after the match, Macklin would continue to beat up on Rich. The referee would chastise Macklin by doing this. Macklin would grab the referee and yell at him. Security would come down to the ring, but Macklin would beat up on security. Rich Swan would get up, and now you see Rich and Macklin beating up on each other. Security comes down, and he would pull both Swan and Macklin apart. And it just seems that we're trying to build Macklin up for being this merciless guy because he's upset how he's not gotten a Impact World Championship matchup, even though he has beaten former world champions. And he has done everything that he has done in 2022 to gain a championship opportunity, but he hasn't gotten one yet. So we're just starting to see a more, or we're starting to get to see a deranged, unhinged Steve Macklin. That's the type of presentation I think they're trying to go with Macklin here. And I'm cool with it because, again, Macklin, he does deserve an Impact World Championship opportunity. But when will he get it? That's just a big question mark. So we'll have to see when that actually happens. Now, time for the main event of Impact, a tag team matchup. Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans going against the Impact Knockouts champion, Jordan Grace and Mickey James. Jordan Grace will get the win for her team by pinfall by tagging herself in behind Mickey James' back and spine-bustering Savannah Evans, then hit Tasha Steeles with a muscle buster for the win. Now, Mickey didn't look too pleased by Jordan Grace tagging herself in. Jordan Grace doesn't care because she wants to be the one to retire Mickey James. Remember, we're still on this whole uh, situation where if Mickey James happens to lose her next match, she will retire. And Jordan Grace is trying to make sure that she gets that match with Mickey at Hard to Kill at any means necessary. And this whole match was all about how Mickey James has not been able to beat Tasha Steeles. And Mickey just feels that Jordan Grace took the opportunity away from her from being the one to beat Tasha Steeles. So this is going to play more into Jordan Grace and Mickey's whole rivalry as this comes up to Hard to Kill. And I'm enjoying it because you know what? I like seeing the challenger having to be aggressive towards the champion. And I see that's what's exactly going to have to happen with Mickey James touring Jordan Grace. Mickey's going to have to be that aggressor towards a powerful champion like Jordan. So I can't wait to see what happens between these two at Hard to Kill. But with that, that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the bloodline in the middle of the ring. It will be Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, The Usos, Solo and Sami Zayn. Paul Heyman would start off by hyping up the Usos in their upcoming championship match later in the night. And then Paul will switch over to next week, talking about how Solo Sokoa will go against Sheamus and Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn will go against John Cena and Kevin Owens. Now, the fans will be chanting for Sami Zayn and Roman would hear this and he would feed off of that, saying that he is with the crowd with them chanting for Sami. But he looks at Sami and he says that this isn't the usual Sami Zayn is with us every week, and he noticed that Sami has something to get off his chest, so he would give Sami the floor, and Sami would give a passionate speech about how Kevin Owens has been a dark black cloud over him these past couple weeks, because since Sami has been with the bloodline, Kevin Owens wants nothing to do with Sami Zayn, but he has a bone to pick with the bloodline. So when you have a bone to pick with the bloodline, you have the bone to pick with Sami Zayn. So Sammy would continue talking about how Kevin Owens is going to be constantly intertwined with him, but he wants to kind of cut that off by next week. And he looks into the camera and he tells Kevin Owens and John Cena that they're going to get smashed by him and Roman Reigns and that they will acknowledge Roman Reigns as their tribal chief next week on SmackDown. So after that passionate speech gets performed by Sammy, We'll get to our first match of the night, which is the Tag Team Championship matchup of the Usos with Sammy in their corner going against Hit Row. The Usos would win that match by pinfall by hitting a double super kick, then the 1D 
to win the match. Now, after this, we would get a number one contender's gauntlet match. It would be Emma going against Raquel Rodriguez, going against Tegan Knox, Zia Lee, Liv Morgan, and Sonya Deville. Raquel Rodriguez would initially win the match by eliminating Sonya Deville last, but when the bell rings, Ronda Rousey would come out and tell Raquel that she has one more participant that she has to clear through, and it turns out to be Shayna Baszler. So Shayna Baszler would come down to the ring. Shayna Baszler would start working on the injured arm of Raquel Rodriguez. But in the end, Raquel would still get the win by rolling up Shayna when Shayna was gloating about taking Raquel's arm brace off of her. So once that happens, Raquel would roll up Shayna, get the win. There you go. And it was made official that next week on SmackDown, the last SmackDown of 2022, it will be Raquel going against Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, after this, we'll have Bray Wyatt coming down to the ring. And Bray is out here because he wants LA Knight to come out here and give him an apology because he is not Uncle Howdy. Bray talks about how nobody believed him, not LA Knight and not the people. And the people would boo Bray for saying that. But Bray would say, if you were to be honest with yourself, come on, you thought I was Uncle Howdy, didn't you? But Bray kind of lets go of that. Bray would say that he never was Uncle Howdy. And as Bray would talk, he would just stop for a moment. And then he would try to talk again, but then he'll stop. And then he just finally kneels over and say, I forgot my train of thought. And he just stops completely. He just kneels down and he just stands there for a moment. He drops the microphone and he like goes into a trance because the next thing that Bray does is run over to the cameraman and grab him slam him to the mat and then lock in the mandible claw on the cameraman. Then you will see Adam Pierce and other officials and other referees come running down to the ring, pull the cameraman out of the ring, and Bray would just look up into the air. And this is a new dimension for Bray Wyatt. Again, Bray has gone through multiple transformations throughout his whole career in WWE. He was the eater of worlds. Then he was the guy that teamed up with Matt Hardy, who was the laughable a uh, wonderful guy that just clapped it up for Matt Hardy. And then he came back as the Mr. Rogers uh, Bray Wyatt with the Fiend as his alter ego. And now he's back as this guy who's just a normal guy, but just trying to shed the mask that he used to wear. But he still has some demons that he's still messing with that's plaguing him on the inside. So again, we're still dealing with this version of Bray Wyatt who we don't really know who we're dealing with. Are we dealing with the man behind the mask or he's just wearing another mask to cover exactly who he is? That's the that's the character that we're dealing with, with Bray Wyatt right now. Again, I'm intrigued. Bray Wyatt has been back since I believe October-ish and again, he has not had a match yet. That is still what everybody's waiting for. What's he going to do inside the ring? How's his in-ring work going to be? We're all just waiting for that match to happen. Maybe we'll get a glimpse of it next week with him and LA Knight. It was not confirmed or anything. I'm just throwing it out there into the air. Maybe. Because, again, I do want to see something with Bray Wyatt and John Cena next week on SmackDown. I do. At least LA Knight going up to John and, or John going up to LA Knight trying to give him some words of wisdom. Something along those lines. Because, again, I do want people to still, well, WWE to still continue with the Bray and John Cena situation. Because, again, that was compelling television at the beginning of the pandemic, beginning of the Thunderdome era of John Cena and Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania in their whole Firefly Funhouse match. Again, if you don't know what that is, go to YouTube, 
WWE has fully uploaded that matchup. Just go and watch it, and you'll see all these different things, and there's deep history behind every metaphor and every meaning behind things in that match. But trust me, that needs to constantly be talked about with Bray Wyatt anytime John Cena's around. So hopefully they'll continue to go about that next week on SmackDown. Now, getting off my nerdness, after this, we will have Rey Mysterio going against Angel, who had Humberto in his corner. Karrion Cross and Scarlett would be in the stands watching the match. Rey Mysterio would win the match by pinfall by hitting the 619, then follow it up with a slingshot DDT for the win. Now it's time for the main event, Miracle on 34th Street Fight with Ricochet and Braun Strowman going against Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser of Imperium. Ricochet and Braun Strowman would win the match by pinfall when Braun would powerbomb Ludwig through a table outside of the ring, and then Ricochet would hit Giovanni with the recoil, which is a code breaker. Braun would follow it up with a power slam, and to end it off, Braun would put Ricochet on the shoulders, and Ricochet would hit a splash to win the match. Now, this was a real chaotic style match. You had a street fight. You had Christmas-like stuff surrounding the ring, a.k.a. Christmas tree, Christmas presents, all this type of stuff like Kindle sticks and gift wrapping paper. You had a steel chair around and gift wrapping paper as well. I mean, they were just holiday gimmicked out here. The biggest thing that came out of this thing, at least in outrageousness, was there was two big Christmas boxes on the stage. One of the Christmas boxes, when it was opened up, out came a ballerina and she was doing her dance she ballerina for a little bit on the stage and then she left and then whenever Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig go to the other table well present uh they open up the present and out walks the new day and they are dressed as nutcrackers so you will see Giovanni pull down Xavier's arm and then you see Xavier kick Giovanni in the nuts then you see Ludwig pull down Kofi's arm, and then Kofi would kick Ludwig in the nuts. So you had New Day participate in this matchup because, again, the New Day are one of the best showmans in WWE, so they can get away with anything in the world. And them doing this, it just felt right. But again, it was nothing but madness, chaoticness, and that's all a street fight like this, a gimmicked-out uh, Christmas-themed or holiday-themed Street fight is supposed to be is supposed to be sending the people happy, and that's what happened at the end of SmackDown. You saw Braun and Ricochet send the people happy. But in the end, that was your SmackDown wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to AEW Rampage. The first start off, we will have the three hundred thousand dollars battle royale casino trios matchup, meaning there were several trios in this battle royale, and the winners of the trios will get three hundred thousand dollars. The winners of the match were Top Flight and AR Fox when Top Flight would eliminate Claudio Castagnoli to win the match, which wasn't an easy task to do, because technically the last four members of this matchup were Top Flight and Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley. John Moxley would get eliminated by Top Flight, but thanks to Heyman Page, Heyman would come into the ring, and he was not a part of the match, but since John Moxley has a beef with Heyman, Heyman decides to come in, and you just see them brawl with one another which leads to Top Flight eliminating John Moxley. So when it comes down to Top Flight and Claudio Castagnoli, Claudio will try to use his power to eliminate Top Flight at the exact same time. You will see him have put them both on his shoulders and try to eliminate him out the ring. It wouldn't happen. Top Flight used their speed and agility to get off Claudio and eliminate Claudio. But again, I will suggest you guys look at this trio's uh, Battle Royal, especially the last like five to six minutes with Claudio and Top Flight. This tells you that they have some ideas what they want to do with Top Flight 
in their future going into 2023. As a matter of fact, it was announced that next week on Dynamite, it will be Top Flight going against John Moxley and Claudio. So we might get uh, Top Flight getting a win off of Claudio and John Moxley next week on Dynamite. Because if that's the case, we could send Top Flight into at least a good wave of momentum going into 2023. And hopefully that's what they should do because I believe that a good tag team always beats two singles guys coming together as a team. So I hope that Top Flight beats John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli on Dynamite. But that's just my thought there. Now, after this, you will have Eddie Kingston and Ortiz coming down to the ring. And Eddie's out here to call out House of Black. Eddie mentions that they sent House of Black a contract for them to sign, and they haven't done so yet. So Eddie is tired of House of Black waiting around. He's not going to wait for all the hocus pocus, the lights to come off and then pop back on and Julia Hart being there. No, he calls out House of Black and House of Black would appear on the screen. Malachi would tell Eddie a phrase is a real cryptic phrase. And the phrase basically boils down to Ortiz might not be the friend that Eddie thinks he is. He actually might be Eddie's enemy. So once the House of Black disappears off the screen, you'll see Eddie Kingston and Ortiz look at one another. You see them chat with each other. And they just do their hand sign to each other to like signify that they're good. You see Malachi is trying to sow uh, deceit between both of them. Trying to break them up right there. That's what we're getting into right now. And I think what people are forgetting that Santana it hasn't been around. Santana is injured. I don't know if Santana is still under contract with AEW or not. I know that he's injured. I don't know how long he's going to be injured for. But let's just say it might be Santana that's actually the enemy of Eddie and House of Black didn't attack Ortiz because Santana still got a soft spot for Ortiz. Let's just think about that. That'd be a nice little wrinkle to throw in there for AEW. But again, we'll have to wait and see if that's the actual course of action that they're going with. I hope they do because again, Santana and Ortiz, they're a great tag team, but it's going to be a nice situation to see what happens between Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, and a possible returning Santana if that's the direction that they're going with. But if they don't, and we're just going to stick with Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, and House of Black, I'm cool with that too. As long as we get all these guys on the television screen, I'm cool with it. After this, we have Jade Cargill going against Vert Vixen. Jade would win the match by pinfall by hitting a pump kick for the win. So now Jade is 45-0 in AEW. Now off to the main event of Rampage, we have Billy Guns and Anthony Bones with Max Caster in their corner. Going against Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, with Sanjay Dutt and Sanam Singh in their corner. Jay Lethal would get the win for his team by pinfall, thanks to Sanjay Dutt interfering by hitting Billy Guns with a low blow. Then Jay would finish him off with Lethal Injection for the win. So Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal have a win technically over the acclaimed, quote-unquote, even though Max Castro was not eligible to compete. They still give Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal some momentum, so more than likely they'll be the next Number one contenders for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. So we'll have to wait and see as this rivalry continues. And that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now before I get you guys out of here, it's that time of the year again. It's award season, at least end of the year awards. And I want to go back and do another end of the year awards. I did it last year, so I decided to do it again this year. And let's start it off right now. Match of the year for WWE. I'm giving it to Sheamus. Versus Gunther at Clash of the Castle. I don't think I have to go into any further detail or why. But I'll just do something like this. 
hard-hitting, straight-up physicality, blow-for-blow. If you want to look for New Japan or just something hard-striking in American mainstream television, this was your match for you. Sheamus versus Gunther. So go back to Clash of the Castle. It was for the Intercontinental Championship. And also, this was the match that kind of peaked for Sheamus and made people actually get back on the Sheamus bandwagon. This was a match for it. And also, for me, this was Gunther's second match of the year for me. This year, he had it with Sheamus. Last year, he had it with Ilya Dragunov. And I think WWE should give him match of the year if they do the Slammys going into next year. That's just my personal thought. For AEW, their match of the year, in my personal opinion, was CM Punk versus MJF in the dog collar match at AEW's Revolution. This match right here was the boiling point for a rivalry that started in November towards Thanksgiving time of 2021, and it basically ended towards right here in March. And MJF and CM Punk was nothing but a teacher versus student, idol versus a fan. I mean, this was literally just, this was everything you would want as a fan watching something. You got to see someone that was so hated and so vile as in MJF get his straight up just butt beat by CM Punk in the end by CM Punk grabbing MJF's Dynamite Diamond Ring by MJF's own personal war dog in Warlow turning his back on MJF to give CM Punk the ring and CM Punk taking it and popping MJF in the face. Then this led to basically the year of CM Punk and MJF, whether people want to admit it or not. And I know people are going to say the year of MJF and CM Punk. Yes, AEW 2022 was literally dominated by AEW's own MJF and the legend CM Punk, literally. Because after this, this sent both men into different lanes in their career. Yeah, after this match, you had CM Punk going after the AEW World Championship, him winning it, him getting injured, him coming back, him having this match with Moxley, him then going into All Out, winning the belt back, and then having the whole media scrum deal, and now Punk is now off on the sideline, and we don't know when he's coming back. And after the dog collar match, this sent MGF into the stratosphere of having a feud with Wardlow, losing the feud, him going on television, straight up just cursing out his boss, saying, fire me, you mark, leaving for months, coming back with the new group, him winning a championship opportunity, him having a face-off with CM Punk at the end of All Out, and then guess what? Ta-da! The whole debacle happens. MGF becomes a martyr. He becomes the most lovable figure in AEW. He ends up winning the championship at full gear, and now this is where we are now. AEW's own MJF is your their world champion. So again, this year was literally dominated by CM Punk and MJF for AEW. That's just what it is. Now, pay-per-view of the year for WWE Survivor Series War Games. You had stories going into it, especially the bloodline going against Drew McIntyre, the Brawling Brutes, and Kevin Owens, and especially the end where Sami Zayn chose up and he decided to stick with the bloodline, and the bloodline acknowledged him as being one of their own, especially Jey Uso. That was story at its finest. So that is the reason why Survivor Series is my pay-per-view of the year. While Full Gear is my pay-per-view of the year for AEW, that was AEW's 
restart button after the whole situation with Punk, the whole situation with the Elite going out at All Out. At this event, you had the Elite coming back. They had a great match with Death Triangle, and this started off their best of seven series. You had Jamie Hayter going against Tony Storm in a great AEW Women's Championship matchup, and this had the crowning of Jamie Hayter being champion. You had Samoa Joe winning the TNT Championship. You had MGF winning the AEW World Championship with William Regal turning on Moxley, and this was technically Regal's last big official situation before he gets written off of AEW television. So this pay-per-view right here is synonymous and is great. I would suggest anybody go back and watch it if you could. There you go. Likely to have a great year in 2023 for WWE, I say Rick Boogs. His water got cut off because he got injured at WrestleMania night one. I think if he didn't get injured, I think him and Shinsuke Nakamura were going to win the tag team titles. But now with him going to be coming back in 2023, I think he's going to have a great year. I think they're probably going to pick up where they left off with Shinsuke and Rick Boogs, maybe. Hopefully they do, because again, Rick Boogs was starting to get some momentum, and I mean heavy momentum, going into WrestleMania. So hopefully that's what happens. Now, people might say, why don't I pick someone like a Cody Rhodes or someone like a Santos Escobar or somebody else? Listen. The likely to have a great 2023 is for people that were not given a lot of shine on television, and hopefully they get a, a lot more shine in the year 2023. Last year, I paid Ricochet and Ricky Starks. As you can see, in this year, 2022, they got more light and more shine on them, so I was technically right in that. For AEW, I'm picking Powerhouse Hobbs. For me, I believe Powerhouse Hobbs in 2022 just started to get some light on him. 2021, he had good light, not a lot of light. I mean, he was barely in the light because he was doing the bidding of Team Taz. But once he started to, him and Ricky Starks being a tag team in 2022, going at the tag titles, doing their own business, and then they split. And then him trying to have beef with Warlow. You start seeing Powerhouse Hobbs get time on television but he didn't get the substantial amount of time that I believe, and I believe that people online believe that he should be getting. So hopefully going into 2023, Warlow, well, Powerhouse Hobbs, excuse me, is getting that. And as you can see, they're repackaging Powerhouse Hobbs. So hopefully we're going to see more Powerhouse Hobbs on AEW television. Woman of the Year for WWE, Bianca Belair. This is her second time getting this award from me. Last year, she was clearly the Woman of the Year. This year, she was clearly Woman of the Year, and I even said it last year. I said WWE might even continue that momentum with Bianca Belair. She might win Woman of the Year again this year, and I was right again. WWE continue with that momentum. They continue pushing Bianca Belair as the face of the women's division, and they are should continue to do that into 2023 because, again, right now, nobody can touch Bianca Belair. They might find somebody. They might not, but right now, the way they're keeping with Bianca Belair, I'm happy with it. For AEW, I say Jay Cargill. Jay Cargill has had one of the greatest AEW debuts. She has had one of the AEW's greatest streaks of all time. She's 45 and 0, and she is literally the one and only TBS champion. She won it this year in January, literally like the first week of January, and she's held it all the way till right now as I'm currently recording this. So Jay Cargill is my AEW Women's uh, Wrestler, a Woman of the Year. Tag Team of the Year for WWE, The Usos. 
I don't think I need to say much. They're the longest reigning tag team champions. They beat the New Day for that record, literally in a match, and they beat their reign. And they're part of the greatest act right now in WWE, the bloodline. I don't think I need to go more into it. And also, they had a great match with freaking the Street Profits at Money in the Bank. Go back and watch that. For AEW, I have FTR. FTR is, for me, AEW's tag team of the year. Now, people might say, why don't I go with the Acclaim? The Acclaim, they had a great year. However, they started really getting momentum. And I mean truly getting momentum whenever they went against Swerving Our Glory at All Out. With that Chicago crowd really sizing up and lining up with the Acclaim that night. And people were even saying that Tony Khan need to like shoot an audible and have the Acclaim beat Swerving Our Glory that night. Which nobody thought before that night that the acclaimed were going to beat Swerving Our Glory, but with the crowd getting behind the acclaimed, people thought that Tony should shoot an audible. No. Tony Khan did it right. He stayed with momentum, and the acclaimed were, and they are now the top act, well, tag team act, secondly, towards FTR. Still, FTR, they had a great year. They won the freaking Ring of Honor tag titles. They won the IWGP tag team championships. They were defending the AAA tag team championships around the world. They've been defending the IWGP tag team championships around the world. I mean, they have been around the world and they've been on AEW television. Shoot, they had a great match with the Young Bucks. Literally, the Dynamite after they beat the Briscoes for the Ring of Honor tag team titles as Supercard of Honor. So again, FTR has had a great, great year this year. Going into 2023, I don't know. I think they're not going to have that great of a year. I think they're going to be on the losing slump to start building up, to start showing off that, okay, last year they had a good year. We're going to have them have a bad year until the miraculous CM Punk come back and save their career. Maybe. Who's to say? We'll have to see, but FTR is the tag team of the year for me. Character of the year? Character, I think I don't shouldn't have to go no more into it. WWE, Sami Zayn. There's nobody else on WWE television that came close to what Sammy has was able to accomplish this year. This year, he straight up went to Roman Reigns and he tried to be the weasel for trying to make sure Drew McIntyre doesn't touch him. But then he starts going around the bloodline more and more. He makes a connection with Jimmy. He makes a connection with Roman. He starts really weaseling his way into the bloodline and becoming part of the family. The whole interaction with him and Jay Uso to Jay finally like coming together and acknowledging and actually getting cool with Sammy. Sammy has done great character work this year. And by the way, his work with Johnny Knoxville at WrestleMania, that's nothing but character right there. So nobody on WWE besides Seth Rollins. And I mean this. Seth was it last year. I couldn't give Seth it this year because Sammy really topped Seth in my personal opinion this year. But Seth was a close close second, but Sammy outbeat Seth in my personal opinion, so Sammy is my character of the year for WWE, while AEW, it has to be Danhausen. AEW doesn't have too many characters, they're just guys out there wrestling, and they're a little bit of a character, but when I talk about character, I mean somebody that's full-fledged, like, character-driven, you know what it is. Danhausen, he is a guy that's in face paint, he has a weird quirky style voice he's talking about cursing people come on this is nothing but a character so dan housen is my character of the year total package that means somebody that has the look that has the style in the ring and that could talk on the mic 
for total package for WWE, I'm giving it to the bloodline. I mean the whole unit, the foundation, Roman Reigns, the Usos, Sozuko, Sami Zayn, Paul Heyman, all of them working together as a unit. They are the total package in WWE. Nobody in WWE came close to beating them in ratings as in on television or social media uh, metrics. I mean, just look at the story that they told whenever Sami Zayn got told to take the shirt off. The whole fans, the whole audience were gasping and like just at the edge of their seat with Roman and Jay and Sammy. Sammy with the baby dog eyes. Couldn't believe what's going on until Roman had to throw him his own honorary Uso t-shirt. That was a great moment. That whole thing all comes together as one. That's the reason why the bloodline is a total package. For AEW, the total package Again, for the second year in a row, it is MJF. MJF is total package for AEW, for real. He literally is the future for that company if they decide to keep him for the year 2024. So hopefully AEW knows what they're doing with that kid. And let me quickly backtrack that. AEW is going to do everything in their power to keep MJF under contract with them because I don't think that they're risk ready or willing to risk losing MGF to WWE, if I'm going to truly be honest with you. So, MGF, I see you having a good future in AEW until you personally decide to leave. Now, for the wrestler of the year, for WWE, for the second year in a row, Roman Reigns. Anytime Roman Reigns was in the ring, he had the fans captivated. Whether it was him going against Logan Paul, which was a hell of a match at Crown Jewel. Him versus Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. In that freaking no holds barred. Him and the Usos going against Drew McIntyre and RK Bro. I mean, anytime Roman was in the ring, he had the fans eating out of the palm of his hands. That's what you're supposed to do as a wrestler. You're supposed to make the fans just be at your beck and call. You're able to play them like a fiddle or a cello or any type of musical guitar for this example here. You get my drift. Roman is able to do that, especially with his trash talking and talking smack to his opponents. It is one of the highlights that Roman has been able to do since he's come back from, well, COVID. Since he came back in 2020, he's been able to trash talk his opponents and make people really dig this character that he's created for himself. So Roman Reigns, to me, again, he is the WWE's Wrestler of the Year. For AEW, it's Jon Moxley. John Moxley has been holding the AEW flag down for this whole entire year as a main eventer for AEW. He came back in January after fighting his demons. He comes back to go against Brian Danielson. Then they join together because William Regal comes in at AEW Revolution. Then they go down and they help Eddie Kingston, Santana Ortiz, going against Jericho Appreciation Society. Then you see him beat up Tanahashi to become the AEW interim champion because CM Punk gets injured. Punk comes back. John Moxley beats CM Punk in record fashion form on Dynamite, which nobody saw that coming, and he beats CM Punk. So he does that. Then he loses the CM Punk at All Out, and then everything happens at All Out. And then guess what? Who's the saving grace again? John Moxley. John Moxley comes back. He ends up becoming AEW World Champion again by beating Brian Danielson. And then further down the line, he ends up losing it to MGF doing what needs to be done. John Moxley is AEW through and through. You can stamp AEW on his forehead. That's just what it is. So for me, John Moxley is 
AEW's Wrestler of the Year. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great holidays. This is Christmas Eve. I want you guys to have a Merry Christmas. I want you guys to have a Happy Hanukkah. I want you guys to have just a Happy Holidays in general. Now, I will be having a Sunday episode up tomorrow. I don't know how long that's going to be personally because it's Christmas tomorrow. So it might be 30 minutes. It might be 45. It might be an hour. I have no idea until I do it. But again, I hope you guys have a great Christmas Eve. I hope you guys have a great holidays. Please don't be a dick. Please be happy. Please at least be joyous. Watch something on television. Watch Netflix. Watch HBO Max. Watch any streaming sites. Play video games. Get in contact with your loved ones. I'm just saying, please don't be hurtful. Please don't be crude. Please don't be mean towards anyone this holiday season. Just be courteous, especially since we're going into the New Year's literally next week as well. So with that all being said, I love you. I thank you. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. And with that, Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.